When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? Elliot here from Novacare Complex. First real day of practice, in my opinion, here with Matt Lombardo, as always. And doesn't it really feel like today was the actual start of camp? I mean, we, I know we've said a bunch of times, lots of firsts, but today, to me, really felt like the start of camp. Absolutely. We had the three days of rookies and selected veterans. We had the light 10-10-10 practice yesterday, where not a whole lot that you could glean from practice. And then Friday, the fans show up, all of the veterans are here. It was the first full practice, and yeah. you it's the first day that it actually felt like training camp. And probably one of the other reasons it felt like training camp cause, was because we've as with this team always, we have a little bit of drama now. So, all right, before we get into what happened today, the news and, of course, the soap opera that is this team, let me take care of a few things. So if you're listening to us in a browser, you really shouldn't be. You should subscribe. This way you get the audio quicker. You get the podcast quicker. We're going to be doing these three times a week. So if you want your training camp news, this is the place to get it, the place you can subscribe. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Spreaker. And, of course, once you subscribe, we love those reviews. Five stars. Leave a little comment. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know who you want to have on. I mean, we're gonna, we want to have a lot of guests this, this year. Um, so if you leave a comment, you request somebody, we'll, we'll do everything we can to get them. Um, all right. Now that that's out of the way, the drama of the day. Matt, why don't you uh, fill the people in a little bit? Yeah, Elliot, yesterday you had a one-on-one with Michael Kendricks and basically talked to him about his situation. And it's really been ongoing with him, given the status of his contract, the fact that he was basically on the slow ride to being yeah. benched last year, went from you know consistent starter the first few years of his career to a reserve linebacker last year. And that seems to be the case again this year. And today it is Lockhart. Kendricks just completely opened up and said, quote, I asked for a trade for sure. Their response was, you're young and you're talented and we're not into that. I took it like that, unquote. That's Michael Kendricks. Yeah, and the interesting part about that is so I, today is, uh, well, today's camp. Camp's already getting me. Today is Friday. So I talked to Kendricks on Thursday. Yep. And he said, yeah, I knew the team was trying. I knew the team was open to trading me. They didn't contact me about it. So it doesn't sound like this was a back and forth thing that happened with Kendricks and the Eagles. And the feeling I got from from talking to Kendricks yesterday was, does he want to be here? No, he wants to be somewhere he can play. I mean, when he signed that big deal in 2015, a deal that really came out of nowhere. I mean, if I remember correctly, they signed it maybe a week into training camp or sometime during training camp. One of the first deals that Chip Kelly actually executed with full control. Right, exactly. So that was it's just a weird timing for an extension during training camp. But, yeah, he signs that big deal, and then he goes on that season to play – 25 I know I'm sorry he plays around 55% of the snaps that year 
Granted, the Eagles weren't a 3-4 defense then, which helped. Last year, Chip's gone, new defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz comes in, and Kendrick plays around 25% of the snaps. Yep. So the question is, and Alex, I'll throw this to you, is part of, no, I think we can both agree part of the reason Kendrick's isn't playing as much is because they're now running a 4-3, and even though it's a 4-3, they really only put two linebackers on the field a lot of the times. Yep, yeah, he's basically relegated to the third linebacker behind Jordan Hicks and Nigel Bradham, and mm-hmm. last year, even though we signed that big deal in 2015, think back to this time last summer, Elliot, and I wrote about this and did a video on the site Friday afternoon, that... We can think back to a year ago when he was coming off the injury and he played into the fourth quarter of that final preseason game against the Indianapolis Colts. Then the story came out in the Philadelphia Daily News that he took some shots at former defensive coordinator Billy Davis. Billy Davis took some shots at him. Not that great of a situation for a couple of days. And then the fourth preseason game, the game that's basically for veterans to have the night off and you're trying to evaluate your bottom of the roster players, they played Kendricks. And, you know, he had every opportunity opportunity to become a distraction last year and he didn't his playing time took a big dip as you talked about only playing 25 percent of the snaps but I really believe that if he's going to be a part-time player if they can get anything of value for him if Najee Good steps up or rookie Nate Gary steps up if one of those reserve linebackers takes a big step forward during the preseason I almost think you need to move on from Michael Kendricks because I don't see many positive outcomes well, th- from him being here for 16 Yeah, weeks. I mean, the interesting thing about Kendricks is I remember when, you know, he first got here, he was, like, always around in the locker room, especially when LaShawn McCoy was here. Like, they, their lockers were kind of close to each other. They were always joking around. He was always joking around with the linebackers. He was very vocal. He talked to the media a ton. At least when I first got on the beat, he was always talking to the media. And now, I mean, the fact that Kendricks talked today after talking yesterday – it's shocking to me. I mean, last year you would try to get him in the locker room and I'd be like, hey, Mike, you, you have two seconds. And he's like, oh, I got to go do this. And he would never return. Or, oh, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. And then he wouldn't. Yep. And I'm not even saying that in a bad way against him. Like, as, you know, I'm not a media member complaining about access. I'm saying it's just to me the notable, noticeable difference in his attitude. And he hasn't been a distraction. But to me, he doesn't seem like somebody that's happy to be here. I think he, I think he likes his teammates. I think he likes the area. But – he doesn't play. I mean, you know, he, he's never on the field, basically. Right. And it's not even – and to go back to what I asked you, yes, part of it, I agree, a big part of it is the 4-3. I also just don't think this coaching staff is, is as big on him. Now, it's interesting he said the thing about the GM or, you know, whoever, whoever he talked to saying, we don't trade t- talented young guys away. Well, the Eagles would have traded him if they if they got an offer they liked for him. So, right, and there just weren't any offers to be had. And, and yeah. Kendrick's talked about that today, and there have been reports throughout the offseason that he's been on the block. So I'm not surprised that it's come to this. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe part of him being more accessible this spring and summer might have to do with not necessarily him creating a distraction, but it could be him laying the groundwork for a campaign to potentially talk his way out of town. Yeah, I mean, in next offseason, if he... So I think he will be with the team this season for a number of reasons. One, their their depth at linebacker is not good. No I mean, question. They they might not be very high on Kendricks, but behind but the linebackers outside of your top three, if you include Kendricks, Najee Good, good who's a good special teams player. I'm not sure that's a guy you want out there if something should happen to Hicks or Bradham. Uh, and let's be honest, Hicks he is injury prone. So, I mean, you know, there's no guarantee he's going to play 16 games, even though he did last year. Uh, Nate Gary, who you talked about, he was a safety in college. Yep. So you can't really feel he's a rookie. really good about him. Um, Joe Walker, a guy they're high on, 
almost you know, but he spent more all, of a middle linebacker. Yeah, too. and also spent uh, all last year on the injured reserve. Then you have Don Cherry, a guy who you know was on the practice squad last year, local guy out of Villanova. He's on all their first team special teams, so I do think he has a good chance of making this roster. They like him; he can play all three positions. But again, he's not a guy for no matter what the coaching staff thinks of Kendricks. You feel more com- more comfortable with Kendricks out there than you do Gary. So yep. for those reasons, I do think he's here. But also, let's talk about the cap ramifications. I mean, he has a six point six million dollar cap hit for two thousand seventeen. If they were to cut him, that number would increase. So I mean, you you would basically be paying more for him to be on the ro- not to be on the roster than you would to have him on. It. Um, the other part of that, I mean, they, they could designate him a post-June 1st cut. At least I would assume they'd still be able to. They haven't used that designation yet. But even if they could, that's not something they do because then you space that cap hit out sure. after two seasons. Um, and I honestly, I don't think this is – this isn't a situation where you have to – you have to do something. I think if he's here, he'll be the same guy he was last year. He won't talk much to the media, probably be a little somber at times when you see him in the locker room, not seem like the normal Michael Kendricks. But I don't think he's going to be a guy that, like today, even today when he talked, does anybody surprise he said he, he, he wanted out? No, I mean, and I'm not saying that they need to release him tomorrow. I'm not saying right. they need to rush out and find a trade. But if Najee Good improves, if Nathan Gary is what they think that he is, and if they mm-hmm. feel like these guys are good enough to fill the void as the number three linebacker, the number one backup linebacker, then I think that you're doing everybody a favor by trading him. But I'm not saying that it has to be priority one. I just think that after everything that went down last year, a diminished role this year, even further from where he was a year ago, I I just don't I, I can't guarantee that Michael Kendricks won't be a distraction under those circumstances. All right, so I'm going to tell you, if they were to trade Kendricks, and let me see if this would change your opinion, and, and if they trade Kendricks, you have $4.8 million in dead money, and you save $1.8. So I guess in that way, you're opening up almost $2 million of cap space. Under any circumstance, it seems like he's going to count 4.8 against the cap. Yep. So the question is, if you do trade him, A, do you basically just trade him for whatever you can get? I mean, assuming you see what you like, assuming what like what you said, you see good things out of your backups, or is this a guy you want to keep around, or is that $2 million in cap space just simply worth whatever you can get? I, I think the cap space is important, particularly because of all of the one-year deals that you have that you're going to have to make some decisions on with some veteran guys who might their play, play their way into some pretty big deals this offseason. Mm-hmm. But I also think that if you look around this roster and you look at the whole cornerback, Kendricks might be the type of player that you might be able to swap garbage for garbage. You might be able to swap right. a Dennis Kelly for a Dorial Green Beckham. You might have to make that Kyle kind Fuller. of a deal. Kyle right, Fuller. Kyle Fuller's the perfect name to throw out there with the Bears. They could use a linebacker. Kendricks seems to fit the type of defense that they run. Mm-hmm. You could package a draft pick and Kendricks to bring in Kyle Fuller for a look-see, and I think that Kyle Fuller would have more value to this particular team and this particular defense than Michael Kendricks does. All right, so moving on from Kendricks, because at this point, I mean, I think moving on is the best thing we can say about it, because one – there's not. I think at this point that there's nothing that's really going to happen, in my opinion. I mean, I don't think him today, him saying that today is going to influence the front office to do anything. I don't think it's going to influence another team to make a trade for him. I think that if another play goes down in camp, maybe you know teams and there was a report that they talked to the 49ers. Maybe if the 49ers lose a linebacker, then that's something that the Eagles would explore. But in my opinion, this you know we'll talk about today, and it's certainly interesting. I mean, I never thought he'd even still be here, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if you know this kind of goes away now that he's kind of voiced his opinion. So. Speaking of going away, last podcast, and this just speaks to the type of team we're covering here. While we're recording, they released Marcus Smith. So we did get a chance to talk about it. Let's talk about that briefly, at least, 
Um, the team just finally lets go Marcus Smith. The timing, they did it probably because he was going to be able to roster bonus in a few days. And he's he's had trouble staying healthy, so they probably did not want to risk bringing him out onto the field and him potentially doing that. But uh, Marcus Smith, I know he's a guy you you talked to a ton when uh, he was here. When you look back, I mean, is it do you blame him? Do you blame the coaching staff, the front office? I mean, how do you think the blame of him not working out kind of gets distributed? Well, I think part of it, and a significant portion of it, has to fall on Marcus Smith. You're a first-round pick, and even though that's higher than a lot of analysts would have projected that you get picked, you have to step in. You have to step up. And and in all of my interactions with Marcus Smith, he never really came across as that overly confident guy, never seemed to quite grasp the responsibilities of the system. They didn't do any favors for him, putting him in a position where he needed to both rush the passer and have coverage responsibilities as a linebacker. But I think first and foremost, falls on Marcus Smith, falls on the Eagles for overvaluing him. And in a lot of ways, it falls on Chip Kelly and Bill Davis for not playing him the requisite number of snaps, both in practice and in the games with the first team to even see what you have. And I do find it interesting that the day after he clears waivers, Elliot, the Seahawks sign him. Right. And they sign him to a three-year deal worth $18 million. And I know the eighteen million, the three years is it's kind of... $18 million? I'm just... I haven't seen that. Years. Yeah, okay. I've, I've seen That's that. And a couple other players around the locker wow. room were talking about the $18 million numbers. So they see something in, in Marcus Smith. And again... I don't really know what they've seen, but if there's any system where he can walk in, shed that label of being a first-round bust, not feel like he has to be the man, it's right there around all of those quality defensive linemen. Listen, I I wish the kid the best, and I'm going to be really interested to see how this plays out with him in Seattle. And the interesting thing to me about, if I think about why Marcus Smith failed, two reasons. One, I think he wasn't a guy that when they picked him, the entire, everyone in that room was behind the pick. Um, Right. You know, it was either Chip or Howie. I've heard that Howie had a lot more due to the pick. You can talk to people that heard it's been a lot more of Chip. I've and heard the and Chip, that, and that, that just speaks that to just the spe- room. Exactly. It speaks to – right, exactly. So I think that, first of all, he came into a situation where he wasn't completely – not wanted, but the entire organization wasn't completely behind him. And then I thought – I thought the big mistake they made with Marcus Smith was he gets here – he is he is perfect for a three four outside linebacker in my opinion. He's very, at least in Louisville. He showed the ability to you know drop into coverage if he needed to. Very athletic, long. I mean, he has the physical tools. But they bring him in here. They put him back when they ran to three four at the jack position. And the jack position in Billy Davis's three four defense was basically. You know, a line. He was a linebacker, but it was Connor Barwin's position. And Barwin, Jack of all trades, exactly. And Barwin's one of the smarter football players I've been around, at least my time covering the team. So that position requires a ton of thinking. It's a position where you have to read what the offense is doing, then know whether you're going to drop back, are you going to rush, are you going to cover this guy, what are you going to do? And they put Smith in that position to start, at least in OTAs and then the beginning of training camp. And I thought that was a bad decision because here's a rookie that's coming in. Um, I think Smith is a guy that was drafted for his athletic potential. I wouldn't say his football acumen was elite, at least initially. So um, I he think he was drafted it, to get after the quarterback. Right, exactly. So you bring him in and you put him in that position, and I really think it put him behind the eight ball to start. He's, you know, he's he's out there. He's confused. I, I just didn't think that was the right thing. So that kind of started his career off on a bad note. And then when he played, he didn't play that well. So then we have the the pressure, and Brandon Graham has talked about it, the pressure of being a first-round pick and not doing well initially, and you get that bust label. I mean, after one year, Marcus Smith was being talked about as a huge bust. Then last year, you know, he, he doesn't play well again. He ends up with four sacks or four and a half sacks in 37 games, and the majority of those games he was played in, it was more just because of special teams. He really didn't 
you know, appear on in the de- on the defense a ton. So, you know, I think defensive line is a position where you kind of need some reps to get going, as you mentioned. Yep. So I think it's just a combination of things. Not letting Marcus Smith off the hook, though. I mean, not coming to voluntary OTAs. That just is not a good look for him, especially given his status on the team. Now, maybe he's already tried to force his way out at that point. But I, I never got the feeling being around him. You know, personalities for each player is different. You don't want to grade a guy completely off his personality. You know, Sidney Jones, a guy. Coming from the creator of franchise swag. Yeah, coming swag, from the creator of franchise right? swag. Well, I guess what I'm, yeah, that's true. But I guess what I'm saying is this. What I'm saying is Sidney Jones is a guy, he hasn't talked a lot. When you're around him, he, he seems to be very quiet. But everything you hear about him from Washington is was he was that leader of the team. He was very fiery. Seems very quiet so far. Marcus Smith was a guy, when you were around him, you never got that sense of, like, extreme – passion for the game or anything like that right. and I think that played a small role in it and today Jim Schwartz on Friday after practice during his press conference basically came out and said that for Marcus Smith and I don't know how much stock I put into this I think it's just a coach not trying to trash a player on his way out the door but Jim Schwartz basically said that the reason Marcus Smith isn't here is because we made a lot of moves at defensive end we went out and we signed Chris Long we went out and we drafted Derek Barnett in the first round we're confident in Alex McAllister and some of the other young players that we have here, and it was going to be a numbers game to get Marcus Smith snaps during training camp and during the preseason. Mm. So in a way, I get it, but the the other part of that equation is you you don't make those moves if you're happy with Marcus Smith. And, And we talked about this after the draft. We talked about this during OTAs, that a lot of the reason, at least in my opinion, and I think that you have talked about this as well, Elliot, a lot of the reason why they drafted Derek Barnett is they were admitting that they made a mistake with Marcus Smith, and yep. they were fixing that mistake. And I think Derek Barnett has the chance to be a heck of a football player. I think he's going to you know, play meaningful snaps immediately as a rookie. And Marcus Smith just was never going to be that guy here. Yep, I agree. So, I mean, you know, ever since he's been cut, they've been debating biggest draft bus ever. Where does he rank? Clearly, he's got to be up there. I mean, four sacks in 37 games, never got it going. So, I mean, you mentioned Barnett, and I, he's got to clearly that's got to be a better pick than Smith. But the Barnett pick again puts that pressure on Howie and Joe Douglas, especially coming off of the Marcus Smith pick. I mean, we can debate who wanted him more, Chip right. or Howie or whatever. Howie was the GM when that pick was made, so now you're talking about Marcus Smith as a first round bust, Danny Watkins as a first round bust. I mean, Howie really his first round. You know his resume for first round picks is not great, so this Derek Barnett pick is really one that that needs to work out. So moving on from Marcus Smith, like uh, much like the Eagles did, let's, I just wanted to briefly talk about uh, Jordan Matthew because we yep. talked about him a lot on the last podcast, and since then he's come out, he's practiced, he practiced yesterday on Thursday, full go, it was a light practice, and then on Friday he was, which was the most physical practice at training camp so far. He was a full go. He was out there. He looked healthy. Yesterday in the locker room, he told me afterwards that his knee felt good after that workout on Thursday, which for injuries is huge because during the during the actual practice, the pain isn't there as much, but it's afterwards, the swelling. How do you react? So the fact that he was able to practice Thursday and Friday was very big. What have you seen from Jordan Matthews so far, and what were your uh, – what was your reaction to, to what he had to say when he did speak to the media? I, I thought he's looked great so far. And again, I take nothing out of yesterday other than the fact that he came through it healthy and That's he practiced That's a big deal, though. I mean, he was able to run, right. those type of things. I'm, like, I'm just saying that when you look at the way that a 10-10-10 practice is set up, it's all predetermined and you're working on certain situations and all of that. But Friday's practice, there was one play in particular where he lined up in the slot. 
I believe it was either Patrick Robinson or Rasul Douglas who was above him. And he basically double moved him, made a catch. And as Jordan always does, he ran it 20 yards after the catch Mm -hmm. during that drill. And I thought, you know what? That's the type of player who's healthy. That's the type of player who's motivated. And he spoke at great length to a group of us right after practice on Thursday. And he basically took umbrage with the assertion that part of him being absent or limited during the spring was because of his contract and this being the final year of his rookie deal and the Eagles not looking to extend him. And he said, listen, I've never played this game for money. I've played it for respect. I go over the middle and fight for every pass, not because I'm looking for that big deal, but because of the fact that I want the guy opposite to respect me. And Mm -hmm. and I I really do take a lot of that at face value for Jordan Matthews. That's just the type of guy that he is. He's never had to be the guy that, you know, brings the rest of his family up behind him because of his big NFL contract. Mm -hmm. And I think that if he's healthy enough to play, he's going to play. And I still believe from an Eagles standpoint that if – Nelson Aguilar builds on his strong spring, has a strong camp, looks good in preseason, that if they can get something for Jordan Matthews, they, they'd probably seriously consider trading him. But I think that from him, he looks healthy. He looks ready to go. He's said multiple times that even when the pads go on and it's full tackling, there are no limitations. Mm-hmm. So I'd expect when the pads go on and they start hitting on Tuesday, I think he'll be out there, and I think that he'll be the Jordan Matthews that we've seen over the last couple of years. You know, another thing that he said was he was asked about a report. Um, it was written on Philly.com, and the report basically said some players in the locker room think that the injury is worse than knee tendonitis, and some people in the building, speaking of the Novacare, feel that he could probably be able to practice more, of this, but this has to do with his contract. And he was asked about that, and that's kind of what, I've, you, you know, what you said, how he reacted to that in terms of, oh, I would never do that. I'm just here to play. To me, that report, and I'm not doubting it at all. I like the work Philly.com does. I'm not doubting it. But to me, the fact that that was a report, and there is people in, in the Novacare saying that, just speaks to the fact that I don't think he's going to be back in 2018. Agreed. I mean, those type of reports don't come out. Notice you never really hear negative reports come out of the Novacare about Carson Wentz or guys that you know you, that this team views as a long-term option for the team. Um, and you can look no further than the fact that here we are, we're on the verge of August 1st, and there have been no talks about right. extending him. And yep. the Eagles traditionally, they if they've guys. drafted somebody or if there's a young player that they like on their roster, they lock those guys up before they get to their contract year. So mm-hmm. I'm with you, Elliot, and I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he's not here in 2018. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Eagles, because of Nelson Aguilar or some other wide receiver really stepping up, I wouldn't be surprised if they trade him before this season even begins. And man, like the thing that the thing that I've thought just watching him these past two days is on the last podcast we debated who would you want to commit big money to, Alshon or Jordan Matthews, and we disagreed on that. But the reality is they don't got to decide right now. And right. with both those guys out there, like you can really see how this offense could be special because Jordan Matthews, yeah, he's not an outside receiver, which is going to impact his value and probably has to do with something about the fact of the Eagles not resigning him yet. But, man, he might be one of the best slot receivers in the league. And when you have him in, in that slot and Alshon on the outside, and we'll talk about it in a minute how Alshon and Torrey looked on Friday, but he really is in a position to, to, to thrive and to have a good season. And, and he will get that big deal next offseason if he can stay healthy. But if the offense is really good this year, Jordan you know, puts up big numbers, Alshon does. This team wins 10 games. I'll just be interested to see then how the Eagles react because Jordan Matthews is A, a locker room favorite, be a fan favorite and see, oh, well, most importantly, see Carson Wentz favorite. But finally, he's a guy that if he can help his team go, 
you're not going to just let him want to walk. And I do think that if the Eagles offered him a deal and another team offered him a deal similar with more money, but it was similar, he just strikes me as the kind of guy that would want to stay here. He likes his teammates. He likes the area. He likes the idea of building it with Wentz. And, you know, I know every player says they don't, they don't care about the money. And, but with Matthews, I really feel like if you're, telling, if you're telling Jordan Matthews he can make $10 million and stay here or he can make 14 and go play in Cincinnati, I really – honestly do think he would take the time. Maybe, but that offer still has to be there. And, yeah, and no, I you're think right. That, I think that if all things... But I'm equal, saying if he plays well, they might right. have no choice but to make him that offer. Well, I, I shouldn't I think, say they can well, do whatever they want. I think, but. right, I think that they're going to, and again, we've debated Alshon Jeffrey versus Jordan Matthews. Right. You know how I feel about Alshon. Yep. But if, if it comes down to them at the end of the year, whether they're going to potentially lose Alshon Jeffrey over a million or two dollars, or they make an offer to Jordan Matthews to keep him, yeah, I think they're going to go all in on Alshon Jeffrey, assuming that Jeffrey doesn't get hurt, doesn't have a PED suspension, and doesn't catch 50 passes for 600 yards. And let's be real, as everything I just said about Jordan with the money, that is not going to apply to Alshon. Alshon is a guy that's going to take the biggest deal, and I'm not knocking him for that. You know, every player has their priorities. He's a guy that's played on one-year deals now three years in a row, I believe, if you include the franchise tag as a one-year deal. So he's a guy that's going to want that big payday. And I'm not knocking him, but he does not. If if the Eagles offer him $10 million and the Minnesota Vikings offer him 12 he'll be in Minnesota. As he should. As he and, should, and, right. And I just look at, and we've talked about this, what we saw from him in the spring, what we've seen from him today, what Carson Wentz has talked about in terms of his hand strength and his ridiculous catch radius. Mm-hmm. You're already seeing Alshon Jeffrey and the impact he has on this offense. Yeah, and that's and, what I wanted to talk about next with the yeah. receivers. So let's talk about Friday's practice because to me the big takeaway was you're already, just like you said, you're already seeing the impact these receivers could have on the offense and Carson Wentz because of the catches they can make that last year nobody on this team could. No, I agree. And it, ironically, it was a catch that Alshon Jeffrey didn't make that jumped out at me today. It was okay. a ball that Carson Wentz overthrew. It was over his head along the sidelines. I think it might have been either C.J. Smith or Aaron Grimes covering Alshon Jeffrey. And he goes up and very nearly made that one-handed catch yep, on a I ball that mm-hmm. – Nobody comes close to last year. If it goes five feet over the head of Odell yeah. Beckham Jr. or Josh Huff doesn't even give a complete effort on it. And Alshon very nearly hauled that thing in. And I just said, man, this guy's catch radius is outrageous. He caught a ball today one-on-one against Rasul Douglas where he was diving to the ground, picked it up off the dirt. He made a catch in stride. He made a catch leaping through the air. And I just think that you look at him, you look at Torrey Smith on a play today where Jalen Mills did everything but decapitate him at the line of scrimmage, blows by him along the sideline, makes the catch, turns it upfield for a big gain, and you just close your eyes and you start to think, okay, in this season that is so much more about the development of Carson Wentz even than it is about wins and losses, Mm -hmm. if these guys play at this level, then the Eagles' mission has been accomplished because they're just going to help Wentz develop and they're going to have huge dividends on the rest of this offense. And the thing about Alshon is I think like – at least I know reading my Twitter mentions, there's a persona out there that I'm anti-Alshon. But I'm not anti-Alshon. I mean, I think he's the 14th, entering the season, the 14th or 15th best receiver in the league, which is saying something. I mean, there's only a handful of number one guys out there. But to me, my biggest thing with Alshon was I just want to see it. I want to see him do it because the last two years, and I know his quarterback play wasn't great, he's only been a dominant number one one out of five years. If he's that dominant number one this year, I'll be the first to admit, not that I was wrong, but I'll be the first to admit that this guy is – better than 14th or 15th he has the physical tools to do it it's just he hasn't the past two years and so that's why for well me, in 
I mean, listen, the last two years he caught 800 and 821 yards. But right. prior to that, he had back-to-back years, 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns, 1,400 yards, 7 touchdowns, mm-hmm. 90 catches in 2013. So, again, last year we can point to the decline because of the PED suspension. That doesn't help. That's going to hurt your numbers. The injuries. But 820 yeah, yards numbers, in yeah. <laughs> 12 games. Right. With subpar quarterback play and in an offense that really couldn't get going, right? I have a hard time sitting here and saying that he wasn't that true number one. And now, the Bears let him walk with tons of cap space. Sure, and right. and that that's part of it. But you put him in this situation with the amount of wide receiver and tight end talent around him, mm-hmm. with behind that offensive line and with Carson Wentz throwing him the football. I just think you're going to get a guy who's much closer to that 11 to 1300 yard receiver than somebody who, for the first time in his career, isn't going to catch 800 yards. Yeah, and I mean, look, like today, all, I guess what I'm trying to say is today was the first day where I really saw what Alshon could bring to this team. I mean, you, like you mentioned it, the catches he makes, the chemistry he seems to be developing with Wentz. So definitely a good day for Alshon. But the other guy that I thought had a very good day, maybe a better day than Alshon, but if not very close, Torrey Smith. Yep. Huge day. I mean, two plays. He had one play where uh, there's no tackling, but he caught the ball in a short gain, and Jalen Mills came up. It was pretty physical with him. And I think even if the pads were on and there was hitting, he would have broken that tackle, and he went down the field for what would probably have been a touchdown. So that was a play not a lot of receivers make last year. But the other one he made was he, it was a quick slant route. He's going across the middle. Carson Wentz throws him the ball. It's probably a yard or two behind behind uh, Smith. So not a good throw by Wentz. But you saw yep. Smith reach back, grab the yep. ball, pull it in, and continue to go. Yep. And, you know, for all the talks about uh, Carson's accuracy issues last year, which I think were overblown, but that, you know, this year he gets 10 or 15 of those catches made that he didn't last year, and all of a sudden we're not talking about accuracy issues with him. So you really saw how, you know, with Alshon's catch radius, absolutely, but in general, I think Wentz is not going to have to be as accurate as he did in the past. Now look, Torrey Smith had an issue with drops last year, and there's just one catch. So I got, I got to see it with him, too, in the regular season. But today, with Alshon playing great and Torrey playing great, which probably doesn't speak well for the Eagles cornerbacks, but with both those guys playing great, you really saw how Wentz is not going to have to be, you know, running around that line, running around behind the line of scrimmage for 10 seconds, putting a perfect pass. There's going to be a bigger margin for, of error for him. Yeah, and, and again, it goes back to we did a podcast right after free agency where we debated whether or not the Eagles did enough. And I think that what they did this offseason, whether they intend to bring Alshon back or not, and whatever happens with Torrey Smith, they made a concerted effort to get better, more proven veteran wide receivers around Carson Wentz so that he can have that bigger margin for error, so that he can develop some good habits, so he can continue to develop not only his confidence, but also his passing mechanics and his throwing motion. And whether those guys are back here or not, they're going to be better suited next year because Carson Wentz will have had this season with those weapons to further develop his game. And that's why I think that this year is even more important to see Carson Wentz develop than it is their win-loss record. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So Friday was the first real practice. On Saturday, they're going to go to the link. Um, they're always, they always seem a little lighter, but Saturday, I believe the pads do go on. Yep. So that'll be very interesting. Rain, we'll see what happens with it, but Saturday, they're going to practice. Sunday, they're going to practice. So then they'll have their first day off Monday. So if you're a rookie, you will have practiced seven straight days at that point. So the camp is definitely getting off to a bit of a, a definitely a physical start with Doug. So before we get out of here, let's take some time, as we always do, for some of your t- uh, Twitter questions. Uh, the first one I have is from at Hawkmeister32, and this is actually one of my observations from today, so I'm happy he asked this. Who wins a second cornerback spot, Rasul Douglas or Patrick Robinson? And my answer to that is I think Patrick Robinson starts week one, but if Patrick Robinson plays during the training during training camp preseason like he did today, my answer could change because today he did not have a good day. 
undrafted rookie last year, quarterback turned receiver David Watford, beat Robinson down the field for probably about a 40 or 45-yard touchdown. He had a step or two on him. Robinson was, you know, barely there when the ball got there. So not a good play for Robinson. I don't think he's played very well so far. So far, Rasul Douglas has looked good, but again, you know, third round pick that was really fourth round when you take into the fact he was a compensatory pick. I'm hesitant about rushing him out onto the field. What do you think? In that? I, I think that they're better served by having Rasul Douglas out there and giving him this year to develop and take those snaps. But there's a caveat there. And the caveat is he needs to be as good or better than Patrick Robinson. Which he is needs, not much. <laughs> he needs to win that job. Yeah. And unfortunately, today we saw a double move. I believe it was Marcus Johnson who pulled it off on Patrick Robinson, beat him at the line of scrimmage, and it was almost Lee Otis McKelvin-like, and which is kind of scary yeah. when you think back to how many times McKelvin got beat by a double move. But if it comes down to those two players are equal, I think you got to throw Rasul Douglas out there and let him develop. But... He's been inconsistent. He was inconsistent during minicamp. He's had some nice plays during training camp. If I had to hedge my bets, I think Patrick Robinson starts week one. And the thing about Rasul is, you know, you saying that he struggled on the line of scrimmage. That was a huge thing for him coming into the season because he played a lot of off coverage at West Virginia. Not the fastest guy in the world. The Eagles like to put their corners up on the line of scrimmage. So him struggling there is definitely uh, an issue. All right, what, what's the second question we have? Uh, second question is, how do the wide receivers and running backs look so far? Any surprises? That's from at CMS underscore 21. Uh, I look at Donnell Pumphrey as one of the bigger surprises. And okay. I know that we figured that he was going to play into getting onto the field as a rookie, maybe as a wide receiver. But the one thing they've done a lot this camp is, and we saw it a lot on Friday, almost every other play, it seemed like they were hitting him with a pass on a screen pass or on a wheel route out of the backfield. And they seem to really like this pony package where they have Darren Sproles and yep. Donnell yep. Pumphrey on the field at the same time. So if there's anybody that's really surprised me, it's the impact Pump Donnell Pumphrey is already having on this offense. To, to me, one of the surprises is, and I don't even know really if he constitutes as a surprise anymore, but there's much people talk about him, but Marcus Johnson is, is a backup on, on this team. And I say that because he's not a third-string backup, fourth-string backup. When when the Eagles have their first-team receivers out there, it's Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey, Torrey Smith. When they have their second-team receivers, it's Marcus Johnson and Nelson Aguilar on the outside. So he is certainly moving his way up the depth chart. They like him a lot. He's played well. He had a bad drop. It was either Tuesday or Wednesday in the red zone, but had a bad drop uh, in the red zone. Should have been a touchdown, but he had a few nice catches today. He's a guy that I think has a legitimate chance to make this team if they keep uh, keep six receivers. Um, all right, the next question we have is from at Football Kelly. I think four tight ends on the 53-man roster. What do you think? That means that you're going to end up keeping Selleck, Burton, Ertz, and... I guess it would be... Bra well, to me, the, the, the player would be uh, Billy Brown, Billy Brown. drafted guy. He's played really well. The other option would be Anthony Denham. Um, and then the tight end situation is interesting because you have Ertz, who's clearly your long-term guy. Selleck is probably not back in 2018. Burton's on a contract year. And Burton, Burton's on a contract year, but also, like... Is he a guy that you really see as a long-term number two tight end in terms of his size? And can he really play that position? I'm I'm not convinced. I'm not, and that's not knocking Burton. I think he's more of a Swiss Army knife type guy. Where today he lined up as a fullback. I mean, I think he can do a lot of things, but I'm not sure he's like a. He, he's not Billy Brown. Billy Brown. 
the guy, the undrafted uh, tight end. He's big. He's he's long. He's caught everything thrown his way. So I can see the argument for keeping an, an extra tight end. That being said, I don't think they keep four tight ends. I, I don't think four make the roster, and I no. think that Billy Brown, because he plays tight end, I think that's a position that you can sneak onto the practice squad. And if it doesn't work out with Trey Burton this year or you, you don't view him as that long-term solution as your number three tight end, then you bring Brown onto the active roster next year. But four tight ends, you, you start talking about keeping maybe six wide receivers. Are you going to keep Marcus Johnson or are you going to keep an extra tight end in right. Billy Brown? Are you going to keep the extra corner or are you going to keep a fourth tight end? And I just have a hard time justifying uh, four tight ends on this roster, particularly with so much depth already at wide receiver. All right. So, do you have another Twitter question? You're going to have to good? get another one because my right, phone <laughs> just died. So, <laughs> training camp, training camp prom. So, we're good on that. We got some Twitter questions in. Kendricks, Marcus Smith, Jordan Matthews. This camp is never boring. So, all right, guys. Today is Friday. The Eagles, like I said, practice Saturday, Sunday, off Monday for the first time. And then Tuesday, from what we're hearing, that is going to be the first day with actual hitting. So we'll have a ton to talk about when we're back on Tuesday. We'll have three practices, and who knows who else will have asked to be traded by then. So we'll be back on Tuesday. Um, as always, as I said at the beginning, go subscribe to us. iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Spreaker. We're on all those platforms. When you do subscribe, make sure you leave us a review and a rating. We would really appreciate it. So, Matt, I will talk to you on uh, Tuesday. Sounds good. 